Well, good morning. My name is Jesse Robinson, and uh, my wife and I uh, have lived in Charlottesville for two years. Um, and we just added a third to our family last, uh, last Friday. Uh, his name is Amos Leon Robinson. Uh, so I have less sleep than I ever have in my life. Um, but the Lord is gracious. Uh, so I hail originally from uh, the Texas Panhandle, um, from a place called Canyon, Texas. And there you can uh, look further and see less than anywhere else in the country. Um, so it's good to be here in, uh, in the Shenandoah Valley and Charlottesville. I, I just find it very, the scenery here uh, is much more to my liking. I, I attended a Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, uh, and, and we moved here, my wife and I, to work on a PhD, working on a PhD at UVA in American Religious History. Uh, and Jessica works at Trinity uh, Press, where we uh, attend. Uh, she's the operations director there. Uh, but I'm very thankful to be here uh, at Tabernacle to, to bring God's word to you. So in a 2005 study of the religious lives of American teenagers, sociologist Christian Smith described the predominant religion of American teens as moralistic therapeutic deism. Moralistic therapeutic deism, or MTD for short. What he meant by this was that most teens, he found, believed in a God. And that God wants us to be good people. He wants us to, to be good and to try hard to do good. And that's the moralistic. God also wants us to be happy. That's the therapeutic. That God is here to help us get what we want, whether it's money or security, a spouse, whatever. Uh, that is who God is. He wants us to be good, and he wants us to be happy. And that's moralistic therapeutic deism. I would argue that moralistic therapeutic deism is, is, is actually kind of the default religion of, of, of just humanity in general, uh, of, of Americans in general. But here at Tabernacle, you've been discussing the, the great truth of the Reformation on this 500th anniversary of Luther's nailing of the 95 Theses on the church at, at, at Wittenberg. And the gospel of Christ, as recovered by the Reformers, decries moralistic therapeutic deism as a false religion. So against deism, sola scriptura, or by the scriptures alone, reveal that God is not some distant, far-off God, but that God is actually a, a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who've worked together to create and now save a people. Against moralism, sola gratia, or by grace alone, means that we can't be good. That, that God does want us to be good, but we can't do it. And so therefore, God has to act in grace to save us. Against Moralistic, we also have sola fide, that is by faith alone, that we are justified, not by our works. And solo Christu means that we cannot save ourselves, but it was through Christ alone who has brought us salvation. So today we'll be speaking of the fifth sola, and probably the greatest of the solas, soli deo gloria, or to God alone be the glory. Soli Deo Gloria is the grand conclusion of all these solas. For if God has truly revealed himself in the scriptures, 
If it is only by grace alone that we are saved, if it's only by faith that we are justified, and it's only Christ who has saved us, then who gets the glory in our salvation? It's not us, but only God. To God alone be the salvation. So hopefully you see that the soli deo gloria is the grand conclusion and summary of all things. And soli deo gloria speaks also against moralistic therapeutic deism. We live in an age where human happiness is at the center of all things. Thomas Jefferson himself declared that the pursuit of happiness was an inalienable right granted by the Creator to all men in the Declaration of Independence. And yet, Soli Deo Gloria objects that this is at the center of all things. Instead, our passage today in 1 Peter 4, 7 through 16, reorients us and calls us back to our primary end, which we, we confessed, that the glory of God is at the heart of all things. So let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. Would you please stand as we read? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves for the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of God and of, of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Will you please pray with me as we ask God's blessing upon his word? Our Father in heaven, to you alone be glory. We pray that you would be with us by your Spirit, that you would unravel the Scriptures, that our hearts may see you in your glory. Or we pray the same prayer as Moses in Exodus 33, show us your glory, that we might be pleased and take joy in you. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. You may be seated. So God's word this morning proclaims this. The God of all glory has revealed and shared his glory with us in Jesus Christ that we might glorify him and enjoy him forever. I'm going to say that again. The God of all glory has revealed and shared his glory with us in Jesus Christ, that we might glorify him and enjoy him forever. So three points. Uh, I, I'm trying at alliteration because I'm, I'm an ex-Baptist. But all glory belongs to God. Glory belongs to God. 
Second of all, that we glorify God through gifts of grace. Through gifts of grace. And third, that our destiny is glory and gladness. And our destiny is glory and gladness. I couldn't find a word, destiny, the synonym with G, so sorry about that. But. So first of all, all glory belongs to God. Let's begin in the middle of verse 11 in 1 Peter 4. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. This simple doxology is Peter's version of soli deo gloria, to God alone be the glory. Before we begin, though, it's, it's probably best to address what is God's glory. Uh, we use that word so, so often, this phrase, to God be the glory. I see it in architecture, and, and, and it, we probably use it so much that we don't really know what it means anymore. In Exodus 33, Moses makes a bold request to the Lord. He says, please show me your glory. And the Lord replies in verse 19, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. So the Lord answers to Moses' request to see his glory. The Lord answers that it is his goodness. His name is glorious, and his mercy. Yet there's something in this that, that Moses can't look directly at God's glory, and so there's something indescribable when we begin to think about God's glory. It's beyond human comprehension. Other theologians speak of God's glory as the sum of his attributes. God has all life, glory, goodness, and blessedness in and of himself. He alone is the fountain of all being. John Piper describes the glory of God as the public display of the infinite beauty and worth of God. The public display of the infinite beauty and worth of God. And the scriptures proclaim that this is actually the reason why God created all things, was to show off his glory. John Calvin speaks of creation as a dazzling theater of God's glorious works. And, and we can see that here in Augusta County and in the Shenandoah Valley. The blue hues of the mountains, the rich greens, the fall reds, oranges, and purples, the sweeping valley, it is glorious. And its glory points to the creator who made it. The heavens declare the glory of God. But humanity also declares the glory of God, reveals God's glory. The scriptures say that God made man and woman in his own image. And Psalm 8 speaks about how God crowns them with glory and honor. All humans bear a peculiar glory because they all bear the image of the glorious God. And mankind's original vocation was to glorify God. We, we, we spoke that together, Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But we all know that we have failed that. Some of you who grew up in church, you might know, have memorized Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
Now, there are many metaphors for sin, immorality, disobedience, but it's interesting here that Paul speaks of sin as falling short of the glory of God. The sinfulness of sin is falling short of the glory of God. That we have failed to give God, who by his very nature deserves all glory and respect and honor just by virtue of him being God. And when we don't worship him, we fail to give him glory. And that is the true sinfulness of sin. That we don't give God his proper due. And we know that God himself is rightfully jealous of his glory. If God is the most glorious, most perfect being in the universe, and he is, it is unjust that his creation fails to recognize him as such. In Isaiah 42.8, says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Look back at verse 11, though. It says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus Christ that God has begun his salvation. That we now are forgiven of our falling short of the glory of God. That we now have access to God's glory in his throne room through the living curtain that is Jesus Christ. So God's glory is actually the reason for our salvation. Why did God save us? Why did God, in his infinite mercy, why did he decide to save us? Probably many of us would, would instinctually say, kind of John 3.16, that it's because he loved us. And while that is certainly true, Ephesians 1 says that it's because of God's glory that he saved us. Paul details the spiritual blessings that have been showered on those who put their faith in him. Chosen in love, we've been adopted, we've been redeemed, we've been forgiven. We've been given wisdom and a glorious inheritance sealed by the Spirit. And after every one of those things, Paul concludes to the praise of his glorious grace. To the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. He repeats it three times, saying that the reason why God saved us is because of his own glory. Soli Deo Gloria is actually the reason for our salvation. All glory belongs to God. Now, how must we glorify God? How do we regain the vocation that we've lost? And I propose to you this, it's, it's by the gifts of grace. Now, it's quite common to associate glorifying God with doing our best or being excellent. We see athletes who score touchdowns and then point up to the heavens, right? Be the best you can be and then give all the glory to God. I fear that this doing your best is more a product of performance-itis than biblical Christianity. We live in an ambitious, performance-oriented culture, and doing your best can too quickly be turned into an idol of ambition, fame, and celebrity. The scriptures have a radically different interpretation beyond trying your best to glorify God. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul concludes, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. While I still think that I am an excellent eater and drinker, 
Paul's not saying, do your best in eating, right? He's, he's picking these very ordinary and mundane things and saying, in these eating and drinking, you actually glorify God. There's something else happening here. Well, let's look at the, the, the practices which do glorify God. Peter begins in verse 7. He says, prayer. First, prayer. Four practices. First one's prayer. Verse 7. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. What Peter is saying is, order your life in such a way that you guard your prayer life. Pray without ceasing, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. And what Peter is saying is that in order to pray without ceasing, this is the attitude by which you need to cultivate self-control and sober-mindedness. Resist indulgent and consuming attitudes and practices that do not aid in your prayer life. Drunkenness, diversions, Netflix, Candy Crush, Facebook, Instagram, gluttony. What are the things that distract you from prayer? A sober prayer life glorifies God. Second, he says love. Love, in verse 8, keep loving one another earnestly. What a beautiful adverb, earnest, earnest, without pretense, honestly, with planned and concerted effort. And he says that this love will cover a multitude of sins. Now, we, you as a church, uh, we know that a, a church is kind of like a, a car windshield. And there are so many cracks and nicks, small offenses, gossip, judgment, that threaten to become bigger, bigger cracks that break the entire windshield, break the Christian community, the church. And what Peter is saying is that love covers over those small nicks and keeps the Christian community together through the grace of forgiveness. Love forgives and love glorifies God. The third practice is hospitality in verse 9. Now, we're in the South, and we're kind of famous for the Southern hospitality, right? But, but, but I love how he adds, once again, these prepositions, the devil's in the details. Hospitality without grumbling. I love being hospitable, but I also love complaining about my guests. I reserve that right. Um, and, and, and not only this, but offering hospitality to relatives and in-laws. Right now, I've got my mother and my wife's mother and my sister all under our small little townhouse, uh, which is, Lord have mercy on us all. But practicing hospitality to family is hard enough, but Peter expects us to practice hospitality with one another, the church. But we should not think too narrowly about hospitality here. This is not just a welcoming and an opening up of your home, though it is no less than that. This is actually an attitude of welcome, inviting, listening more than speaking, engaging rather than judging, an attitude that sets people at ease. And he says that hospitality glorifies God. Fourth thing, gifted service in verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. He says everyone has a spiritual gift 
for the building up of God's church. Peter specifies two different groupings here, serving gifts and speaking gifts. And both are to be used to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, it's very easy to think about spiritual gifts. Uh, I, I love taking those inventories, you know, what spiritual gifts are you? I love taking them because I love thinking about what I'm good at. You know, what, what, what am I good at? And kind of like stroking that ego, you know? But what Peter says is that, that spiritual gifts are not for our own self-actualization. But spiritual gifts are for service and for giving of yourself to the church. We find out what our gifts are by serving. They are about surrendering the self in gracious service to God and his church. And he tells us by calling them gifts and grace, he tells us that these, even these, are not of our own self. It's sola gratia. It's by grace alone that we are able even to serve each other. And when we realize that, it's not us who are getting the glory. It's not, look how great a speaker he is, or look how great a servant she is. It's isn't God beautiful? Isn't Jesus beautiful? I had this experience. Uh, we went to, uh, we had our, our uh, baby uh, at Martha Jefferson, and we took the child, childbirthing uh, class uh, with a teacher, Laura Salvatier, who's a, a woman at Trinity, uh, a member at Trinity Fellowship. I don't know Laura very well. But in that class, it was so beautiful to see her teaching. She was so gifted. And she had this gift of hospitality that took in these, these 16 stranger couples who were all terrified about having children. And she just gave us, equipped us with wisdom and grace. And as through that class, I gave glory to Jesus because I saw her using her gift for the glory of God. And that's what the gifts are for. When we look at each other, we should say, that is Jesus. Praise God. And why are these gifts, why do these gifts glorify God? Prayer, love, hospitality, service. Because they are the very things that Jesus Christ did. That's why I don't think that doing your best is a helpful, is a helpful metaphor for glory, glorifying God. Instead, we should try to be like Jesus, who served, who loved he alone covered a multitude of our sins. He's the one who welcomed all people, the last, the least, and the lost, as he opened his arms on the cross. Without grumbling, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. We glorify God when we are like Jesus Christ. Now, how do we share in God's glory? I, I posit to you that our destiny is glory and gladness. But first, let's look at verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Peter is telling us is that sharing in Christ's sufferings is actually the path glory. In verse 14, he says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Think about that. In the midst of your suffering, that is the very time when this Holy Spirit of glory 
is dwelling in you and above you. The apostles spoke of suffering as a universal Christian experience. In fact, it's necessary for our salvation. Paul in Romans 8 states that we are heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. So suffering is necessary for salvation because we are united to Christ, who is the suffering servant. And yet, Peter calls us to rejoice in the midst of our suffering. Verse 13, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Now this is, how, how do we rejoice in suffering? Peter is not calling us to some sort of masochism where pleasure, where, where we really take pleasure in pain. We rejoice for two reasons. First of all, our sufferings prove to us that we are Christ. Our sufferings prove to us that we are his because he himself suffered. But secondly, Peter calls us to rejoice now in the future glory that will come. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be be revealed to us. Romans 8, 18. Or or 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You may be experiencing extreme suffering this morning the loss of a loved one. Maybe your body is betraying you. This morning, God calls you to remember that there is glory. That though it certainly does not feel like it, these sufferings are light and momentary compared to the glory that is to come. God is calling you to rejoice. And for those of you who don't feel like you're suffering, who think my life is kind of good, God also calls you to walk in suffering just as Christ did by taking up your cross and denying yourself. Let's come to some conclusions. Remember moralistic therapeutic deism? Soli Deo Gloria speaks against the therapeutic, that God exists to serve human happiness and instead says that humans exist to serve God's glory. Many in the medieval world were completely convinced that the sun revolved around the earth. I remember learning this in third grade, you know, third and fourth grade, and you just feel so, like, triumphant, like, well, now we know that the earth revolves around the sun, as if that was, I mean, I don't know, that, that just seems, like, if I, if I were to reason it out, I would say the sun revolves around the earth, too, like, just logically, I, I see it go round and round. But... We know that Nicholas Copernicus uh, in 1543 said, actually, it's the other way around. The sun is at the very center of the universe, and it's the earth that revolves around the sun. Who is at the center of your universe? Are, Are you in the center of the universe, and God revolves around you and all other things? Or is God in the center of the universe, and you revolve around him. I'm a PhD student, uh, which means that I'm constantly trying to prove my glory by how smart I am. Uh, Or in my marriage, I really just want my wife to just catch a glimpse of my glory. You know, 
Um, I want every interaction, like I want at the end of every day for her to like lay in bed and think, I am married to an amazing man. <laughs> um, and I wake up every morning and that just has, like, I just want that, right? I don't have to try hard. I just want my glory at all times. And when people deprive me of my glory that I think I am due, I become angry, bitter, and judgmental, right? Soli Deo Gloria offers us a brand new universe where, where I and you are no longer in the center of the universe. And that frees us to serve. And it, in fact, it frees us for joy. It frees us for joy. Just because our happiness is not at the center of the universe does not mean that God has no regard for our happiness. What is the chief end of man? Remember that second part? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now there is a priority that's important. We are only happy and only have joy when we put that first priority of God's glory first. And yet, God has tied his glory to our happiness. God has connected our destiny with his glory. And our destiny is, good, is, is glory and gladness. Why? Because we are united to Jesus Christ. And God's will will not be thwarted. He will be vindicated. And God has all happiness in himself. And as we get closer to him, we will share in his joy. Now, remember Isaiah 42.8, where God says that he will not give his glory to another? The gospel is, is that the God of all glory, who does not give his glory to another, has nevertheless shared his glory. Do you see how generous our God is? That he has shared his glory, that we might participate in it. And he has shared his glory in Jesus Christ. If you have put your faith in Christ and were baptized into his sufferings, your destiny is glory. There is glory ahead. Romans 8 again says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There is glory ahead. And it is sure. And it is certain if you are in Christ. Soli Deo Gloria is not just a, a, a phrase, a truth. It's actually your destiny. It is your destiny. How glorious is your God? Is your God like a vending machine in which you come to him to just get what you want? Is your God predictable? Do you see his glory? Do you want to see his glory? Moses asked to see God's glory. Have you ever asked to see God's glory? In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, Paul writes, For God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let me repeat that again. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Remember how Moses couldn't look at God's face? God was not content to keep his face hidden. Do you want to know the glory of God? It is the face of Jesus Christ. He is the image of the glorious God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we confess to you 
that we so easily and so quickly cheapen your glory. That we so easily live for idols. We so easily live for our own glory. But Lord, would you pull us into your orbit? Would you show us that you are the burning sun which lies at the heart of all things? And that there is actually joy in submission to you. That as we get closer to your heart, that we will take joy in the things that you take joy in. And Lord, will you give us nothing less than Jesus? Would we see his glory, the way that he has loved us and cared for us and perseveres with us? Would we see him risen and exalted, the one who has come for us, the glorious one? In his glorious name we pray. Amen.